Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We review the sixth day of Formula One testing and ask what went wrong for Ferrari and Sebastian Vettel. Another day, another eight hours of Formula One testing. Carlos Sainz topped the second day of the second and final pre-season Formula One test at Barcelona. Fastest time of 1 minute 17.144 seconds for McLaren. He was fastest by seven tenths from Sergio Perez in the racing point. But of course it's testing, so headline lap times don't necessarily mean a great deal. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me in our palatial villa, not too far from the Circuit de Catalunya, a short drive, got a nice swimming pool, an automatic mower, front and back garden, all sorts, it's, it's very pleasant here. First is Jake Boxall Leg. Now, in recent podcasts, we've heard a little bit of sizzling in the background, which has been you cooking. So you've been spared a bit of cooking to give us your, your insight. Technical, obviously, is your area of expertise. It was probably a good thing as well because I was cutting up some very, very uh, strong onions and I've been crying for the last 10 minutes. So uh, it's nice to be away from the away from the cooker. And yeah, uh, can't wait to be on the podcast. <laughs> well, you are, so you don't have to wait. I did, think, I did wonder if the tears were just because testing is gradually sending you mad. Uh, yeah, uh, definitely. Definitely <laughs> not the onion. Well, another person who uh, is being sent mad by testing is Ben Anderson. 
Yeah, indeed. Well, not not as emotional as <laughs> Mr. Boxall Leg. You weren't near the onions, so it was fine. No, I wasn't as close. I was. I was. You were outwashing the onion <laughs> around me, so protecting me from too much exposure. We should be very kind to him because he's preparing the vegetarian option, of course, for you. He is. Yes, I greatly appreciate that. By That's the way, I just not to put that on record. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's good to have a have a, a someone with a bit of uh, catering expertise. Normally, it's Stuart Codling with his. Uh, is it seven years in the catering industry? He always, talks I think about. it varies between seven and ten, doesn't it? Oh, inconsistencies in his story. Yeah, well, I'm not sure. I, I, I thought it was ten, but maybe I just made that number up. I think he just did the washing up anyway. But uh, we'll we'll, we'll <laughs> ask him. We'll ask him next time he's yes. on. <laughs> well, today, Ben. We say time saving a great deal. Clearly, McLaren's not at the front. But what, what have we what have we learned today? I guess the really eye catching story is Ferrari and specifically Sebastian Vettel's mechanical failure induced shunt at turn three, the fast right hander. Yeah, that was the most dramatic incident of the day by far. Um, I guess the first major setback for Ferrari in pre season. They've they've been, as you said on yesterday's podcast Ed, almost Mercedes-like in their approach so far hitting the track with a car far straight out of the box hit the ground running looks great on track Vettel said last week it was the best first day of pre-season testing he could remember and it looked like they were building on that nicely yesterday um, just going about their program putting the miles on the car using the right compounds that's still been the case but yeah very unexpected and strange failure um, Vettel said you know, he didn't really know what happened. You know, maybe there's a certain amount of protecting delicate information there, but he said he felt something go on the front left. Team com- confirmed a mechanical failure. Uh, he speared off into the, the gravel at the, probably the fastest point on the track with the exception of turn nine. Not a, not a nice place to go off as Hakey Kovalainen knows very well. Um, and smashed the car into the barriers and they didn't make it back out onto the track. And that is not ideal when you have only limited eight days of running ahead of the first race in Melbourne. And we wait to see how Ferrari acts and also to learn more details of the failure and, and what they need to do to correct the problem. Yeah, only 40 laps completed by the Ferrari today, which is definitely a, a setback in terms of running. It's interesting to try and understand what happened. They've not said exactly what it was. I've seen some fairly small size footage of it so it's impossible to see detail but it's consistent with what Vettel said that something failed in the front left obviously it's a fast right hander and on turn in there's a point where the, the the left side of the front wing is down on the ground sparks coming off it so that suggests a collapse of some sort doesn't it whether it's the wing itself or it's a suspension component somewhere on the car yeah it's not entirely clear kind of at first glance it it felt to me like it might have been the front wing but it's it's really hard to tell uh if it was the front wing it Presumably, would have been one, of, maybe one of the potentially one of the mounting pillars in the centre, or it could be closer to the outboard edge. Obviously, one of the things about the wider wings is they are getting a bit of a beating over curbs because the, the rule changes this year, and obviously, particularly the cars have got a fair bit of rake trying to get ground effect working with the, mm. with the front wing. They're a little bit closer to the playing ground. with fire. Exactly. I mean, uh, that I should add is completely speculative but what I can say is what I saw in the footage 100% to me confirmed yes it was a failure yes it was in the front left but whether it was the sort of the front left corner of the suspension that actually triggered it or the front wing it's not entirely it's not always not clear at all but yeah no and also there's there's a good chance we won't really ever know I mean Vettel was saying um in in the lunch break that the the, the 
force of the impact with the barriers did enough damage to the car. I mean, obviously it didn't make it back out onto the track, but it makes it difficult to reconstruct exactly what happened in the shunt. So, Well, it was, it was interesting because they, they're trying to find as much data as we can because actually I asked... Um, Ferrari's uh, press officer about what the, the reason was for it. I mentioned I'd seen this footage and uh, she was very interested in in finding the, the footage of it. And so Ferrari, obviously... Searching for answers just as Obviously has now got hold of that footage and so they'll be analysing it to try and understand. They'll have lots... I mean, they'll have all sorts of data on the car, but that doesn't necessarily tell you where the problem originates, what's actually gone wrong, what's what's broken. Now, Jake, you didn't really see much of it. I want to stress that we we don't really know about the the front wings, but just in general terms, what we're seeing from the kind of extra beating the front wings is uh, what front wings are taking. Uh, do you think that's going to be much of a story this season? And that also means whether it's just over curbs or whether it's wider and so easier to make contact. Well, certainly in first corners, uh, it's going to be an absolute minefield of debris over the course of the season. Um, especially now because they're two metres wide as well. And so everyone's just going to... There's, there's going to be points where people are just clattering into each other. There's going to be little bits and pieces of debris everywhere. Um, over curbs, yep, certainly. Um, I would imagine there was a massive sort of drive over the off-season to try and strengthen these wings as much as possible because they're mounted by two tiny little... Pit, well, tiny little contact points of two tiny little pillars. Um, and you need to keep the wing as strong as possible. Um, teams are going to have spent a very long period of time doing that. But um, worrying about the weight. Yeah, exactly. Well, there is a weight That's penalty the, for the that. The trade-off, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, teams have what's called a finite element analysis to do this. So they'll put in... Uh, all of the load paths that they expect through the wing. So that's through downforce. They might have done some shock uh, evaluations like from curbs and that kind of thing. And I saw uh, Renault today as well doing some uh, flex testing on their front wing as well. They had a very, very elaborate device in order to do that. Would you like to try and describe that for the listeners? Uh, yeah, it looks... you're going to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like... To, in the 2001 Monaco Grand Prix... I thought Aaron- you were say 2001 A Space Odyssey. Uh, I could have done, but it's, like more Stanley it's Kubrick, not. No Stanley Kubrick references on this podcast. I'll prove that. <laughs> it's not Connors quite. Connors would approve, I think. <laughs> it didn't quite look like HAL 9000 or anything like that. Um, no, it was like the Arrows A21 front wing of the 2001 Monaco Grand Prix practice. Hideous. Session. Yeah, absolutely disgusting. That's what it looked like. Um, and then on, on that mounted was two diagonal, essentially, um, little beams if you like um, some mistook it for a wing didn't they yeah some did and it wasn't me no well, that's what that's why we pay you the big bucks to be the technical expert <laughs> uh, but basically the whole idea was to just um when the car is essentially going around the traps to measure load measure flex in the wing and ensure that everything's working as it should be so that's the sort of levels that they're going to to ensure that these front wings aren't just going to snap off mid curb or something like that so the ferrari instant is very very baffling um looking at I, I didn't see the incident itself, but looking at the aftermath, looking at the tyre tracks on the road and in the gravel and the way that Vettel would come off the circuit, it's probably a little bit more consistent with the front corner going a little bit wrong rather than the front wing. But, of course, the front corner collapses, the wing hits the ground. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But that's just speculation. I mean, I don't even think Ferrari, you know, so my opinion is probably irrelevant at this point. 
as Vettel said, important for them to understand that will be the key thing, whatever oh, they can do, because you know the last thing they want is to have a series of Hass-like wing failures through the season, because that exactly. could be disastrous. Exactly. Well, under stress, we don't really we don't know what it is. Ferrari haven't said we've seen very small footage of it. I keep saying small, but it's just on a, on a view screen of a of a, of a camera. So uh, yeah, tricky to to pick out. But 100, percent it was a mechanical failure. There's absolutely no doubt about that. So yeah, Vettel didn't just lose his mind and plough into the ground yeah, on his own I know, I know some people were eager to, eager to jump on the uh, the bandwagon of uh, oh he's crashed again but no I don't think that was uh, even vaguely down to the driver unless of course there was some impact earlier on that, that caused that because obviously usually if there are these failures it can be caused by a load spike sometimes and the load spike goes out beyond what it's designed for or it's not quite as strong as they, as they thought so uh, yeah I mean in a way it's you know, that's what testing's for, isn't it? It's better it happens here. We we do see failure-induced crashes in testing. We see them a lot less often than we used to, actually. Back before testing was such a, a big deal and such such media scrutiny, you used to have some massive accidents going on where people were basically testing to, to destruction and you'd see people having these huge crashes. Uh, yeah, well, everything, everything's so truncated now, though, isn't it? You can't, you can't afford, just as Vettel was saying, you know, you've got eight days... Of proper running before the first race you need all of that time you can't and especially as it's in blocks of four you if you have a massive failure or you try something a bit too experimental that backfires you can you can lose half a day or more of running and sets you massively behind your opposition and And that'll be the big fear for ferrari now i guess that they've lost an afternoon and okay they've they've had a good head start let's say but they won't want further problems through the rest of the week because that starts to become a, a a big problem in terms of their preparations for the first race i think in the grand scheme of things for the hit the track tomorrow and things are normal it won't be a major problem provided they're able to fix it sensibly but yeah if, if it if it lingers on or there's something they don't quite understand that that could be a little bit of a of a setback but it was, it was still looking good for ferrari uh jake we saw yesterday major upgrade on the mercedes yeah and it, and it was very significant uh, we talked about it a little bit yesterday on the podcast. Can you just talk us through in a bit more a bit more detail what's changed, why you think it may have changed, and how that fits in with the general design trends? Uh, there has been a lot of change than uh, Mercedes. It's almost a new car uh, from what it looks like from the outset. You'd call it a B-spec if it turned up mid-season, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I, teams I, don't like admitting B-specs anymore. I wish they did. I wish this was the W10B. This would be great. Um, but I, let's I, just call it the W10B. Yeah, why not? It. Why not? Uh, they'll probably dislike it, but who cares? The McLarens always have an A <laughs> designation at the end of their, their their car, don't they? Have for a few years. I don't know whether do they still do that now. I'm not sure. There's always they always have a random A at the moment, but there was never a B. Disappointing. Maybe they were just deliberately trying to avoid that B B stigma. Yeah, that's, that's probably only in the days when they had a hyphen in the, in the car name. But anyway, B in their bonnet. I digress. <laughs> You can carry on now, Jake. I've stopped interrupting you. Can <laughs> you remember where you got to? Uh, so I was starting to talk about Mercedes, wasn't I? Yeah, you, um, you may continue. Make us believe. Aha. Let's begin. Was that sarcastic enough? Okay, right. I'm going to begin anyway. Um, Get on with it. So, uh, the front end of the car is pretty much brand new. Uh, brand new nose cone, brand new, not entirely a brand new front wing because the elements are essentially following the same path as they were before. But the end plate has changed. Uh, that's quite significant because the launch spec car and the car that they tested with last week, that was an in-washing front wing, which was a very strange decision given that over the off-season teams have lost a lot of outwash p- 
potential, which is the key factor in uh, essentially ensuring that your tire wake doesn't go under your floor and cause a massive upset to the downforce. So that was all about driving the air out, outside the front tire. Absolutely. Um, So the issue with that is it, from the outset, it didn't really look like it made much sense, but it was something that other teams had tested. Um, so from, I'm sure they did it with a good reason. I'm sure they did all simulations and everything, but the outside, from the outside looking in and looking in with my limited technical knowledge, admittedly, uh, it didn't seem like a, it seemed like a bit of a misstep, really. But the, the interesting thing, uh, sorry to cut across to you there, is that um, Ferrari looked at Mercedes launching with that spec and thought, Oh no, <laughs> what have we missed? Because obviously they'd gone the opposite route and you think the team so profoundly successful and sensible as Mercedes that whatever they do has got to be the right way to yeah, go. you take it seriously, wouldn't you? You would, yeah. And Ferrari were thinking, oh no. But it seems like from what we've seen this week that actually maybe this is one of the few times where they might have dropped the ball with that initial idea. Well, I think on that, my understanding is it was a pretty early development version they wanted to get built and set so they could push on with development with the, the second test version a little bit more so that might argue it but equally and you can back to back them i suppose yeah you, particularly this is a strange weeks. thing that jay is that you speak to technical people on teams and basically one of because the, there's a geometry governing that end plates that limits the outwash you can't you can't direct air to aggressively but it just seems that your starting point of your wing should just be right go to the maximum limit of the geometry on outwash and then you well, from there, so it just seems strange to have had an inwash. Why might that have been an earlier stage? Do you think? I still What's think the argument for going that way. I still think that they were trying to ultimately achieve some kind of outwash, but it seems like it was done very curiously because the front wing flap adjuster was angled outwards. Which, although it's only a very small piece of geometry, uh, it was something that technical directors had spoken about at the latter end of last year. Uh, that they were trying everything in the book to try and get that outwash back, including using small bits of geometry. Right. So, you think, so, so you think they were inwashing to then outwash through the secondary bit? Potentially, like. or trying to compress what was there at the corner of the front wing to send it out with a little bit more energy around the tyre, potentially. Um, but that ultimately, that's speculation, isn't it? And they've turned up with this new outwashing front wing. There's a square little cutout uh, at the top edge trailing edge corner just to try and help that a little bit more so it suggests they're going for a very more much more aggressive path with that kind of thing um and then the front nose as well um as opposed to the rear nose hey <laughs> it's podcast bingo you're this, not you're not allowed to get away with that this happens every time doesn't it um you can edit in nose and uh it's all right keep keep talking with your front mouth nose <laughs> Um, <laughs> we wouldn't want him to talk with his other mouth yeah, that's true yeah that could be interpreted in other ways yeah well apparently according to youtube comments that's all i talk out of anyway <laughs> don't listen to the yeah, haters don't, 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 don't read the comments uh anyway uh so the the nose was um redefined as well so essentially just after you get past the mercedes logo just as the cape section underneath begins what do they call it the cape they call it don't they call it the super ted cape i know when it first came in they called Internally. it the super ted Super Ted Kate when it first turned up. Oh, oh that's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? The Super Ted. A little Kate. bit, yeah. Yeah, it sounds a bit like Super Tech as well. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> um, so the Poor Kate... engines, weren't they? <laughs> Continuation Renaults. Yeah. So the Cape section. Um, 
it's essentially the nose almost folds into it a little bit. So that's just helps airflow spill over the top and using that cape, they can just achieve a little bit more front end downfalls using the space available. Um, so yeah, that was quite a big change at the front end, new side pod package, um, trying to just ensure a little bit air, more airflow is just able to pop over the top of the car rather than round so they can use a little bit more of the effective span of the floor. And they'd come up with a few little bits and pieces for the edge of the floor as well. So a few little fins here and there just to help drive our airflow outwards, seal the floor a little bit, generate a little bit more rear end downforce. So there were quite a few changes aerodynamically to the Mercedes. It is um, the majority of the aero surfaces really, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, it's very strange that they would come in with a package for week two that they had already kind of had their heart set on it being what was going to be their final package that they take to Australia. So it seems... Which I have said, it is the Australian Grand Prix package. Yeah, so it's just... Do you, do you feel like they maybe maybe changed tack Not the last second, but do you feel like that maybe they, they set themselves a path for this week one package and thought, oh, that's probably the way to go with these new rules. And as they got closer and closer to testing, obviously you're, you're doing simulations and analysis all the time and rechecking your work and thinking, oh, can we spot holes? Do you think they suddenly spotted a massive hole and thought, oh, no, this isn't the way to go at all. We need to go completely different for, for race one. And they didn't have time to change tack for test one. And they've kind of overlapped the two and found a different path that now they're, they're starting with. And then they've gone, well, obviously it's test two. So that has to be kind well, of our it basic. Clearly, it clearly happened at some point something changed so whether it's not between tests obviously but no no whether it's the official version that they signed off this package very early and and ran it for the first test and then gave themselves more time to do the second package and whether it was something as, sens- as sort of normal as that or whether there was a little bit of a oh moment <laughs> that that happened but the, the thing is something I, only they know i guess i mean to pick up on that point ben to ask you jake if it was a sudden thing that was suddenly picked up and changed then these presumably would have been quite close together in the grand scheme of development ideas, should we say, because it's only a week apart, the, the two tests. So you would have thought that if it had been noticed early enough, they could have done the package for the first test. I know, you know, manufacturing Formula One cars is not easy, and I guess if you want to do your aero bits, there's a limit to capacity, but you'll do a lot of those bits last anyway because they're the bits you want the most development on. So what what do we think the truth is here? Uh, I think it's one of two options. Either they'd gone along a development path and thought, actually, this might be better, but we're not entirely sure, so we'll test back-to-back on the two weeks, and then whatever's best, we'll go with. That seems like probably the most sensible one. Alternatively, it was very late on where they decided to change tack, and because the lead times for these components is it's quite long, it's not something that would have just happened overnight, um, and they've got a crash test the front as well, so... There's various bits and pieces to do, but maybe... Crash just the front nose. <laughs> Indeed. I said the front. I never said nose. Um, I felt there was a silent nose. <laughs> <in there. laughs> just to spite you. <laughs> um, but yeah, the lead time on these components is long. So perhaps it was that they were pushed for time and it was... They spotted it just in time to get the parts ready for the second week, but I still think that's a bit of a stretch. So, and in that case, they'd be using test one to just prove some of the more basic elements of the car they're sure about the engine, the cooling, and all of that stuff. And then they thought, right, okay, test two, then we bolt on the proper aero, correct our mistake, and crack on from Melbourne, but do it in four days rather than eight. 
Yeah, it's it's a strange situation. I think when once you, if you take it at face value, it's like yeah, they're testing some new parts. Okay, but if you drill down into it, it this is a five-time championship-winning team. You sort of don't really expect that. It's going to be fascinating to see how they progress over the next couple of days. We will see some clear signs of pace from them. We'll be back in a moment to talk about some other cars that aren't silver. Well, what else have we got to talk about, Jake? Technically, you've noticed some interesting wheels going Ooh, around. My bread and butter. <laughs> yes, bread and butter. <laughs> You're the wheel man. <laughs> what can you tell us about wheel rims? Ah, yep. Yeah. So, uh, my magnum opus. So, uh, if you remember last Say season. Say magnesium opus. <laughs> oh. I'm going to settle back That's to this one. That's a pun worthy of you, isn't it? That, is, that was truly... I, I can't tell if it was awful or dreadful. Um, <laughs> but, so, if you remember last season... Um, there was a situation where Mercedes had turned up to, it was to the Belgian Grand Prix where they turned up with a brand new set of real wheel rims, which had essentially like little lumps on the, on the, on the edge of the rim. And everyone's sort of wondering what these are for, cause it's such a strange design, but uh, essentially Mercedes are trying to draw a little bit heat of heat out of the tire. Cause they'd had problems with rear end overheating, um, try and draw a little bit out, use it as a bit of a heat sink almost. And then the next step was to try and, say okay how do we get rid of this heat so they'd used this spacer design um so they'd blanked out the center of the wheel essentially used the spacer to cover it put the wheel locking pins on it so that it could it was essentially still a wheel spacer they were keeping the brake ducts away from the wheel itself that was then just keeping a little bit of heat away from the the tire and also trying to drive some of the heat out of the out of the assembly as well uh, it was a little bit controversial because it's something that Ferrari, Ferrari didn't explicitly protest, but they inquired the FIA about it. Um, and Mercedes took it off for a couple of rounds just to counter any threat of Ferrari actually f- levelling a protest, even though the FIA released a directive to say that it was all okay. But knowing that, knowing that it is all okay, a lot of other teams have turned up to testing with them. Um, curiously enough, I've not seen anything from Mercedes on that front, but uh, I've seen something from Red Bull. Uh, I've seen something from Williams with those rims as well. Um, I think Renault as well. There was, there was one other team. I don't remember which one, but there are a lot of teams. Ferrari tried, didn't they? Ferrari tried the the scalloped rim design, certainly. I don't know if they've tried a the spacer or not. I've not had an okay. opportunity to look. But Teams looking in this area of yeah. heat sensitivity in the Pirellis is a massive question the whole time, isn't it? So anything you think you can do within the rules to dissipate heat and get them away from that sensitive rubber you're gonna you're gonna go down that route aren't you and the thing is mercedes only think well the official line that was that it was only worth one or two degrees lower in the tires but that makes so much difference because it could be the difference between, window, yeah. yeah it could <laughs> be the difference between graining and not graining and they're trying to play it down certainly but this is something that teams have obviously thought we can derive some kind of benefit from this and james allison was saying actually today after uh, running that um with lewis hamilton's race simulation graining was a problem that they were encountering so well, in the front tires so he feels that's going to be a problem throughout the season so well, this area could become even more important than it was before it's interesting to hear that because i think we may have mentioned this on podcasts before i know um in the first test there are a few suggestions that because the graining was a problem that we've gone to these slightly harder tire compounds to allow drivers to push more and they won't have to control for thermal deg but because you've got graining and it's really hard to clear you know bridgestones in the old days they used to grain but you go through quite a quick graining phase it would clear off you go you used to hear engineers telling their drivers just 
stick it out one or two laps and you'll be fine yeah. when they were moaning that about was at it, the whole you? heart of what went wrong for ferrari at abu dhabi 2010 actually when they thought everyone was dropping off but uh, yeah that's another story for another day but yeah the the suggestion is that the races this year could end up being graining limited so rather than controlling the thermal deck you're, you're trying to mitigate and control the graining which is which is interesting but uh yeah We'll see how that uh, that shapes up, but yeah, tire management is is essential. It, it always will be essential in one way, shape, or form. And shall we look at shall we look at the midfield battle? Ben Anderson, assuming sure. the usual big three are up front, which looks to be the case. Exactly in what order? Uh, we shall see who's who's winning the midfield war and who's in it. Oh, that's such a tricky question, isn't it? Because that's why I asked you. Yeah, thanks very much for that. Sold me the hospital pass. Um, midfield very congested seems to be closing up you you'd expect Renault to be at the front of that pack maybe narrowly although the drivers don't seem so confident that they are necessarily um certainly as we said kind of yesterday um from watching trackside that car and the Haas look pretty well sorted certainly on the representative sort of softer representative end of the tire spectrum um, but cars like the Alpha and the Racing Point they look quite dynamic maybe a li- little bit trickier to drive um, McLaren now two days in a row topping the times obviously that's a little bit of an oversell but that car certainly seems to be better than it was last year Fernando Alonso was saying that direction is the right one the team it's 100% pursued. in the spread of the midfield yeah the so they're in the mix and whereas of course at the end of last year they were they were falling off the back with Williams weren't they Toro Rosso you'd expect I haven't seen Daniel Kvyat drive the car from trackside yet. Albon obviously has a a bit of learning still to do because he's been chucked in at the deep end. So I think Toro Rosso and Racing Point are going to be slow gonna, burners in the midfield. I think they're going to come on strong as the season. Yeah, those on. cars are probably slightly undercooked, and therefore, when you've got confident driver like Lance Stroll or Sergio Perez hammering the car, it's showing showing up its its uh, less positive traits, shall we say? Um, so that you'd expect them to get stronger. Torosso with the closer working relationship with Red Bull, now they're both using the Honda engine. You'd expect that actually to be a stronger package and maybe not go down some of the, the blind alleys that they have done in recent seasons. So how, how do we sum all that up? I guess at the moment, with the basic packages, you'd say Renault, Haas, Alpha are probably the standout cars maybe the McLaren it's so hard to tell because they've been doing these really fast runs and then you'd expect the racing point and the Toro Rosso to maybe come on a bit stronger once um you know once we get into more of a intensive development phase Williams I think certainly you would say at the moment given they've started late and they're behind just in basic running and also based on last year's form and struggling to define the correct concept and struggling to develop aerodynamically they're, they're off the back but, but again they're, they're probably closer to the rest of the midfield than they were it's not a terrible car but it's probably in a really congested part of the field not quite on point I think I'd probably agree with your reading of the, of the midfield I do think Haas are slightly dark horses actually because Haas hasn't there hasn't been much of a story surrounding Haas in testing they've just been driving around Gremlins few, last week Gremlins last week it's been better yeah. this week but the car looks good very the good, headline yeah. times haven't been very impressive at all, but you start adjusting times and looking at long runs, and they're looking where they were last year. Well, which is, well which last is good. year they they did say, didn't they? They revealed, I think it was at the first race, that they had run quite heavy yep. 
in testing and, definitely doing and, that again. And, and yeah and they've they've clearly hit i think on a philosophy under these rules obviously they've got a you know particular way of working the regulations and deriving a lot of their package from ferrari and we know that's a great car as a baseline but they've they've start they started last year with a really drivable car very benign handling characteristics and that maintained through the year i don't think they they've thrown that out with the the aerodynamic rule changes for this year so if you're confident in your your baseline and you know where and how you can add performance then you're just gonna pile the fuel in and just do your validations and try not to especially in a very congested part of the field show your hand too much in some ways we've talked about you know this idea of sandbagging and testing and how it's a little bit of a a false label you need to you need to know where you are at some point but when you're in a group that you know is so tight you probably pay a bit more attention to that kind of gamesmanship especially if you know that your basic package is strong and you're confident in it talking to the house jake what, what do you make of it it's not one that's jumped up and demanded all sorts of technical analysis of lots of extreme innovations but for the second year in a row they seem to have come up with a very tidy package and we should say that's an aero the aero package is designed by delara it uses the ferrari wind tunnel but it's separated from the for Ferrari Aero, what do you make of what Haas are doing? Well, it still influences from Ferrari because if the rear end is the same, then they've got the same box to work from in that part of the car. So there are influences. Uh, the front end does look very similar. Um, but yeah, it seems to be just a car that it doesn't have anything massively innovative about it. It's just a very, very strong package uh, that is well put together. It's got a lot of expertise from Ferrari, from Dallara, from people that Haas have employed over the last few years. Just very, very tight. Somehow, all these elements come together and create something better than the sum of their parts, almost. Um, so, yeah, it's it's very, very solid. It's It would be an absolutely great place for uh, an up-and-coming young driver to go. The problem is that that's kind of, it's kind of occupied by Grosjean and Magnussen, who are sort of have hit their peak if not or are about to um so i don't know i feel like sometimes some at some points last year the car was definitely wasted for sure um Haas should have finished fourth by rights really they were fourth fastest car on average very yeah. clearly so um so they're the midfield favorite really aren't they yeah and depending on what renault and alpha with yeah. their growing uh growing infrastructure can do to, Renault need to, to be ahead of the midfield even if they need to win the midfield and win it well. And do you, do you sense that they're confident that they can do that, Ed? I mean, you've been analysing yeah, I think, Renault particularly. I think Renault are in today, reasonable so. shape. I don't think they're in stunning shape. But it's all The car seems to work okay. It's reasonably quick. I just think it still feels like, at the moment, with all the data we've got now, that it's still a little bit more at the front of that midfield rather than breaking free. And what, what about Daniel Ricciardo? Because you were, you were kind of yeah, yeah. passing a bit on that. Yeah, I was asking about it today. He... And he's got a great great reference point, having been well, in, that's the, what, in exactly a, what in I a asked top him about car, the, you know, probably the best chassis of the last yeah, few years. Yeah, the comparison to the Red Bull. And he says, you know, the Renault's not doing anything extraordinary, different or anything. I did ask him specifically about the ride over the kerbs and that kind of thing, because the Red Bull's exceptional in that area. And Renault have struggled with that. In yeah, Dan's answer seasons. was a bit more equivocal. He wasn't negative about it, but he said, well, Barcelona's not that representative. We don't really know. But that will be an area. There, there will be little weak spots in the Renault that probably aren't there in the in the Red Bull, I think. But that's their job to, to work on it. And I mean, as, as Dan said, it's all about just improving all these areas 
small steps, and that's what Red Bull are, are so good at. I think Renault are in pretty good shape, and I'd still probably be surprised for them not to get to the end of the season and be fourth. But being fourth as they were last year, it needs to be a better fourth. Is, is how they've how they've put it. Because I don't know if they're going to have they got the right investment to bridge that gap to the big three. That's the thing. well. There's two things there. Have they got the investment to break clear of the midfield? Yes. Have they got enough to be with the big three? Probably not quite yet. A lot of investment there, but the budget still isn't quite the same scale. So yeah, and they won't match that either, will they? Their not whole plan is to do it on less. They, yeah, so they have to be clever and more efficient. That's very difficult because Ferrari and Mercedes and Red Bull are not exactly inefficient organisations. So no, very challenging. Well, as, as we can see, it's uh, still a very very messy picture. Two more days of testing. The last two days of testing were always very significant. We'll uh, we'll have a lot more conclusions to draw. So thank you very much, Jake Boxall Leg and Ben Anderson. Jake, you can get back to the the cooking now. That's a very important task. Uh, do check out autosport.com for all the news from testing. There's all sorts of stories there of what people have been saying and doing. And check out our plus subscriber area for in-depth articles on Formula One and the whole world of motorsports. Do check out Autosport magazine out Thursday, which is yes, that's tomorrow. That will be ha- that will be all sorts of in-depth coverage of the first test. You'll really be able to get uh, get a feel for for the stories that were there that are still being played out played out now. So a good read. Do check out sister titles motorsport.com, F1 Racing magazine out monthly, and Motorsport News out every Wednesday. And if you fancy a flutter, download the Pit Stop betting app. And also do remember if you're at a loose end during the day to click on autosport.com's live coverage of testing. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Sports Social Podcast Network. 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.